Hello, and welcome to the Clinical Care Options Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Anderson. In episode one of this three-episode series, we hear from Dr. Marlon Mayo from UT Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas, Texas, regarding three key PBC studies presented at AASLD 2023. These include a late-breaking study of a dual PPAR agonist, a study detailing biochemical response rates in people treated with an FXR agonist with or without a fibrate as second-line therapy, an evaluation of hyperlipidemia, atherosclerosis, and hepatic steatosis in people with PBC. To follow along with the accompanying commentary, please visit the link in the show notes for this episode. Now, let's get started and hear Dr. Mayo discuss these three key studies on PBC from AASLD 2023. I thought about what to talk about from the meetings. I think what arose to me as important and novel is that PPAR agonists appear to be very helpful in cholestatic liver diseases because they decrease bile acid synthesis and they aid in uh, elimination of bile acids from the liver. And in addition, they're also antifibrotic and anti-inflammatory. And at the 2023 ASLD meeting, um, the use of PPAR agonists for PBC was one of the very hot topics. So about 40% of patients with PBC do not experience a complete biochemical remission with first-line treatment with ursodeoxycholic acid. And there are long-term observational studies that demonstrate that these are the people that are at risk for disease progression and that would benefit from additional therapy. And in the U.S., a beta-cholic acid, which is an FXR agonist, is available for this indication of incomplete ursodial response. But there's still an unmet need because not everybody responds to or can tolerate a beta-cholic acid therapy. And some people don't even tolerate uh, ursodiol. One of the important abstracts that was presented in this area was called Efficacy and Safety of Elifibrinor in Primary Biliary Cholangitis results from the elative double-blind randomized placebo-controlled phase three trial. And this was presented by um, Dr. Chris Bolas as a late-breaker oral abstract. And the full article is actually published online in New England Journal of Medicine just prior to the presentation. So um, to our listeners, I'm going to refer you to that source for all the full details. But in a nutshell, um, they enrolled 161 patients who were incomplete ursodial responders or ursodial intolerant. The subjects had to have an alkaline phosphatase that was greater than or equal to 1.67 times the upper limb of normal and a total bilirubin that was less than or equal to twofold upper limb of normal and no evidence of decompensated cirrhosis. So that was our study population. And then they were randomized two to one to either elifibrinor, which is an alpha-delta PPAR agonist, or placebo. And after 52 weeks of treatment, they assessed for biochemical response, which they defined as alkaline phosphatase less than 1.67 times the upper limb of normal with a reduction of at least 15% from baseline of alkaline phosphatase and total bilirubins that were at or below the upper limit of normal. This is a well-known endpoint, the same endpoint that was used uh, by the FDA to uh, license uh, obeta-cholic acid. The key secondary endpoints were normalization of alkafos, which is what we think is becoming probably more the, the holy grail that we want to strive for in PBC, and change in itch. So the primary endpoint was achieved in 51% of the elifibrinor group versus just 4% of the placebo group. And 15% of the elifibrinor group normalized their alkaline phosphatase versus none in the placebo group. 
with respect to itch, there was a trend towards improved itch as measured by the, a, a numerical rating score, but this did not reach statistical significance. But some of their qualitative measures of itch impact on quality of life did show significant improvement. The drug was well tolerated. They had some very mild GI side effects that were noted in about 10% of subjects. So my take on this is that these are excellent biochemical improvements that really should predict improved outcomes for the treated patients. It's going to be interesting to see in some future publications if there's a suggestion of improved fibrosis, because I know they collected serum markers and they did transient elastography. In this study, there's this equivocal effect on itch. It's hard to interpret because they lost a lot of people in that analysis due to people either not filling out their questionnaires or starting another itch medicine. So in the end, they were essentially underpowered to detect um, a difference in itch. So then the next presentation that I wanna highlight was called Effectiveness and Safety of Second-Line Therapy in PBC, a Prospective Real-World Cohort. And this was presented by Professor Gomez Domingos. They enrolled 316 PBC patients with an incomplete or sedile response from 25 different hospitals in Spain and Portugal. And these patients were treated with either obeticolic acid, and that was 255 patients, or a combination of obeticolic acid and fibrates, and that was 61 patients. So this was not a randomized study, just an observational cohort. And they followed them prospectively for a mean of about 26 months. And then they assessed their biochemical response in a variety of ways. And essentially what they found was that triple therapy was far more likely to achieve a complete biochemical response, which they defined as normal alkaline phosphatase and a bilirubin in the lower half of the normal range. Those are the outcomes that are associated with the best outcomes in observational studies. So triple therapy was far more likely to achieve biochemical remission compared to dual therapy. Another interesting thing they found in this rural world population was the rate of beta-colic acid discontinuation, which was about 18%. And I think this abstract was notable because this is one of the largest real-world analyses that includes triple therapy, that is ursodiol plus beta-colic acid plus fibrates, that we've seen. And the results are really promising. It's worth noting that in Spain and Portugal, the most commonly used fibrate is bezafibrate, which is not available in the U.S. at this time, but there are some clinical trials underway in the U.S. evaluating just this, you know, triple therapy versus dual therapy in PBC incomplete responders. And then the last and final abstract I want to briefly review was a poster, and it was entitled Hyperlipidemia, Atherosclerosis, and Hepatosteatosis in PBC. So a little background, it's well known that patients with cholestatic liver diseases such as PBC become hyperlipidemic. There are also multiple case series that have failed to show any increased cardiovascular risk in PBC patients. This was a fairly small single center study that analyzed 104 patients with PBC and they not surprisingly found the same thing, no increase in cardiovascular disease or cerebrovascular events in the hyperlipidemic PBC compared to the normal lipidemic. PBC. What was different about this study is that they also looked for fatty liver to see if this was more common in the hyperlipidemic PBC patients. And drum roll, it was not, even in those who had pretty significant hypertriglyceridemia. So one shortcoming of this study is that they used the CAP score, continuous attenuation parameter from vibration-controlled transient elastography to define hepatosteatosis, which is not entirely specific. 
So if they had used MRI with PDFF or proton density fat fraction, that would have been less subject to potential confounders. But at least it gives us some reassurance that there doesn't appear to be a link between the hyperlipidemia of PBC and developing fatty liver. More and more, we're seeing patients who have uh, risk factors for both or who have, may have both diseases, BBC, as well as steatotic liver disease. And so it was, it was nice to see um, a study beginning to look at this connection. I'd like to thank Dr. Mayo for that excellent discussion and thank you to our listeners for joining in. As a reminder, to view the commentary for this podcast and the full program on CCO independent conference coverage, updates in primary biliary cholangitis from AASLD 2023 on the Clinical Care Options website, click on the links in the show notes for this episode. And please be sure to check back regularly for more episodes on important liver-related topics. Thank you.